0: Hello there. This is Sam Leon hosting another Purpose podcast. You know, it's difficult. It takes time and work to discover your true purpose. And uh, I, in fact, went through the process again today for myself, third time. And I believed I, I had it nailed previously, but this time I got it 100% right. And how do I know it's 100% right? Well, you can tell it with a feeling. It's like, how do you know you're in love? Um, What's it feel like? You know. You can tell. Um, And I want to explore that more with you later. Right now, I want to go into how difficult it was when I discovered my values. Values drivers are in most of us. Some people have values, but they're buried deep within them. Um, But most values come from uh, your culture, your religion, your grandparents, your parents, their behavior and the things they believe are right and wrong, form the basis of your values, my values. And by the time we're 10 years of age, those values are 80% locked into place. Yes, I know this is a purpose podcast, but it's important, I feel, to understand values. And the The values between the ages of 10 and 20, our values in music, our values in the way we look, our appearance, our values in foods, eating the things we choose to and we choose not to, not being under parental control, um, they form the last 20% of our values. And by the time we are 20, They're locked into place and they don't vary. Those values don't vary at all, with one exception. And that is if one experiences a very deep emotional experience. And the classic is... uh, A man mistreating a woman, and yes, I know it happens the other way around too, but I'm using this as an example. A man uh, mistreats a woman, uh, either verbally, mentally, physically, or all of the above, and walks out on her, leaving her um, with no money, with two or three children to look after. No ability to pay rent, um, or if they own a home, or if they're paying it off to keep the mortgage going. And from that moment, she has what's called a values shift. And that value shift will be that she no longer trusts men. In fact, she may hate men. Now, that value will stay locked into place unless. Somewhere down the track, her friends say, go on, go out with that guy, Peter. He's asked you three, four, five times, and you keep saying, no, no way. Go on, give him a chance. He's a nice bloke. He's a, a reliable guy. So she agrees uh, to go out on a very, um, what can I call it, almost vanilla date, a, a, a cup of coffee, I don't think it would be as extravagant as a meal, Um, maybe just to meet and have a stroll through the park, that kind of thing. And boy, he has to be on his best behavior or he is dead meat. She will not kill him, but she'll berate him, walk away from him, and it will reinforce all that she's thought uh, about men. However, if Peter's good, if Peter is cool and respectful and nice, then she'll give Peter perhaps another chance and then another chance and then another chance. And eventually her values about men will change. Now that's just one example, excuse me, glass of water time. And it's that deep emotional experience which can shatter um, our well-held values, which have come to us throughout our, our our lives from childhood, from the very beginning when we sense things, um, when our grandparents said, don't do that or do do that, and our parents. Um, and And <laughs> the interesting thing is there are not only national values, there's an Aussie-Australian value that most people who live in Australia permanently, um, some of us born here, some of us who have migrated here, do pick up, understand, and absorb. Um, There's Italian values, there's Russian values, there's Polynesian values. Um, But on top of that, there's generational values. And anyhow, I'm going into values Uh, far too deeply, I want to explain values because they are not purpose. Values are the things that tell us right from wrong. Values are the things that we don't do at the dinner table or we do do at the dinner table. Values are the way we treat other people. Purpose is entirely different and In a moment, I'd like to introduce you to someone who has both excellent values or values that certainly match my own. That's called matched values. In fact, it's interesting. The person you choose to spend your life with, your partner throughout life, um, usually has very similar values to you. Um, it's not whether they like the same movies or they don't like foods that you don't like. Um, it's not whether they're great lovers. It has to actually do um, somewhere above 75%, 80 to 90% with matched values. And I know that's true in my own situation. Anyhow, off values, um, back to purpose. The gentleman I'm about to introduce you to has written a fabulous book. I explain that when I introduce him. His values are similar to my own, and he is very purpose-driven. And I've never come across somebody who is so uh, honest, open, genuine, and giving of himself and his knowledge as the guy I'm about to introduce you to. Hello, it's Sam Leon back with you and I'm with John DeRaven. John um, has been a very senior person uh, in the insurance and reinsurance industry, but he's now famous for something else. He's written a wonderful book And that book is called Slow and Steady. And it has, well, it says hundreds. Uh, I found so many good tips in this book. Hello, John. Hello, Sam. How are you? I'm fabulous, and you look fabulous, (laughs) and you should be too, yes? Yes, indeed, Sam. You're very kind. John, firstly, what, what caused you to write this great book?
1: Um, Sam, that's kind of uh, a a long story, but maybe it's worth telling. Um, I've always been interested in uh, personal financial strategies, and I even at one stage towards the end of my full-time employment career, um, got myself a uh, graduate diploma in financial planning, thinking of being a financial advisor half-time in semi-retirement. But what happened was, um, you know, in the end I decided not to go the financial advisor route, But one thing in particular prompted me to to write a book. And that one thing was, uh, many years ago when I worked for Munich Reinsurance, uh, the then managing director was a man called Rhys Withers, um, and he summoned a group of his uh, executives uh, around the boardroom, and he got a guy from Westpac Private Bank called Steve Pollitt to come in and talk to us about uh, financial strategies. And in the course of that one hour or two hours around the boardroom table, I picked up three great ideas that were absolutely uh, you know, terrific for, for me, um, and that would, would have you know, been, been, each of them worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And so it occurred to me that, um, I mean many people don't like paying a lot of money for financial advice, but it occurred to me that if I could pick up three ideas, just in the space of an hour or two because someone came and talked to us about financial strategies, that if someone wrote a book that listed a lot of financial strategies that proved very worthwhile to people in a range of different contexts, uh, then they could get the benefit, really, of knowing and understanding about those financial strategies for an outlay of less than $40, and that's what's really behind the book.
0: Well, you've touched on several things there. and the first was that you were considering getting your diploma in financial planning. Um, Do you remember the CEO of Businessman's Assurance Company, another actuary, um, a great guy who on retiring from that role actually became um, a financial planner. His name was Alec Wickenden. And Alec became a very successful financial planner. And The chairman of one of America's major uh, insurance companies um, went back to university uh, to get his uh, certified uh, life insurance planner uh, qualification and he and his son, after having been the chairman of a giant company, he and his son set up their own financial planning practice. You also mentioned that people don't like to pay for financial advice and um, I always find it a mystery. They'll pay a lawyer uh, as they should, they'll pay their accountant as they should, but a fully qualified financial advisor who has put a lot of time in and must do a lot um, in in order to uh, assist their clients and to meet government requirements People don't see why they should pay for that. Back to your book. Um, It's for all age groups, which I find really fascinating.
1: Look, it is, Sam. Um, And a couple of people suggested that it might be worthwhile um, breaking it up into a number of separate books. And the point that they made was, well, look, um, the people that are interested in the strategies for, you know, teenagers and young adults uh, who are getting their first job are not the same people who are necessarily interested in, uh, uh, you know, retirement villages and aged care facilities. So, um, and I sort of totally agree with that, and I sort of understand that perspective. But on the other hand, um, you know, two, there are two reasons that suggest that one big compendium was better. And the first reason is that often people—they're uh, not just in isolation; they've got families, so they've got aging parents or young, young kids who are growing up and they're interested in strategies for all members of the family, not just for themselves. So that's one reason for having a single compendium and the second is that strategies like get the best credit card they cross all ages. Um, you know, that's, is that one for teenagers or is it one for people, uh, you know, retirees in their 80s? So some strategies are equally applicable for all ages and that's, that's why I sort of stuck with the original plan of having a single book documenting 100 different strategies for all different ages. It's a family planning guide. Um,
0: and I, I found it fascinating um, uh, in, in the first half of the book In fact, in in quite near the front of the book, you go into um, properties. And I thought, John, how have you researched properties? And then I saw that fantastic piece on getting parental assistance financially and the do's and the don'ts. And I thought, John, this is absolutely amazing. It's what's no one's ever touched on those things in a financial planning book, to my knowledge, before. You've written something very special in Slow and Steady. And might I say that I've learned slow and steady is the way, the only way.
1: Thanks, Sam. You're very kind. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's interesting. The, the ideas come from all sorts of different sources. So, I mean, obviously, having done a graduate diploma in financial planning, that would have given me a lot of ideas. Um, Also, just because I take an interest, um, I I read a lot of financial magazines, you know, like sort of money magazine, personal investment magazine, and I read the financial review. Uh, And the other thing was, um, when the book was in draft, um, I hadn't particularly counted the number of strategies that I had, but it was, I don't know, 93 or something. Uh, And then what happened was uh, I sent it out to, I don't know, a dozen or more personal friends and actuaries and, and, and colleagues and family to ask for their comments and suggestions. And people came back and suggested additional strategies that I could see were worthwhile and interesting, which I just um, hadn't really thought of before, so I included those in the final draft. And when I counted up the strategies in the final draft, there were 100. Not through design, it just worked out that way, Uh, and that gave me the subtitle 100 Wealth Building Strategies for All Ages. Well, you're a man of enormous depth,
0: a qualified actuary... Um, you've led um, a reinsurance company and therefore you've managed staff and you understand from talking and managing uh, those people of their individual problems and situations which they've had to at one stage or another come and talk to you about quite apart from uh, uh, their work for you uh, in the organisation you're a family man uh, with a lovely wife and a cute a, a child, and um, you're able to virtually take a 360 degree view of the world. And I congratulate you,
1: John, on what you've done in this fantastic book. Thank you very much, indeed, Sam. You're very kind. Um, yeah, yeah, you're you're right. Um, I. Um you know, he headed up the actuarial function for both uh, Munich Re uh, and Swiss Re at different points in time. And, um, you know, so I, I, I have had uh, experience uh, both managing staff and interacting with other very senior colleagues. And I hope that's contributed to the experience that's gone into the book.
0: To the listeners of this interview, I highly recommend the book Slow and Steady by John de to you. It's a great read, but it's filled with information, snippets, ideas, um, and when you read it, have your yellow marking pen alongside of you so that you can highlight certain parts of it, as I've done, and your uh, little sticky notes so that you can mark the pages. I've been speaking with John DeRavan, author of Slow and Steady, And I want to thank you, John. It's been terrific. And whilst this is going in my Purpose uh, podcast and on my Purpose website, um, it will also be distributed widely. And I can honestly see where your Purpose driver has come from in wanting to inform people for the betterment of their lives.
1: Absolutely, Sam, that's right. Um, You know, it's interesting, um, you know, this being part of the Purpose podcast series. um, You know, I I was listening to something recently talking about seven uh, qualities that are really important uh, for people, particularly in the ageing phase of their lives, and one of them was ikigai, and ikigai being the Japanese word, as I understand, for purpose. And uh, um, I'm starting to get... What I didn't get when I was younger, that purpose is, uh, you know, so critical to um, to well-being and to a happy life. So, congratulations on your podcast series, Sam. I think it's a terrific idea. Thanks, John. Thank you very much.
0: I love hearing other people's stories, um, and when they tell them, and some people are very reticent about storytelling. Uh, I'm not. I, I love to uh, speak, embrace uh, other people, connect with them. And I've been a storyteller since I was a kid. And in fact, I cannot give a, uh, a speech, a presentation uh, without uh, telling a story. And the story makes it real, particularly as it should be if it's real, and it's something you have experienced. And John DeRaven, my guest, um, who spoke just a moment ago, um, he has some uh, wonderful stories to tell once you get him going. I've bought John's book for my grandson, Um, He's 21, and he started to ask questions about the best way to handle his money, um, what he should do uh, to set himself up for the future in the industry he works in. And um, whilst I'll introduce him to a couple of people, this book of John's will do so much to set him on the right path and to answer the questions which I can't. John's book can, will, and does. And with that, I'm going to close on what I started with. I said I'd rediscovered or for the third time um, had a crack at uncovering my own purpose driver. It's something we keep well and truly uh, buried within us, those closest to us know what it is, but it's it's very hard to recognise, and it it really does come from your soul. So, without going into any uh, further discussion on my or your purpose, just let me say that the next edition of this series of podcasts will be on how you discover your own purpose. Until then, I hope everything goes wonderfully for you,
1: and I wish you well. Bye now.